We're in the second week of a series called Scriptural Life, uh, and this, this series has been based upon, uh, it, once again, uh, last week I shared with you that my wife and I back in November went to Israel and the Holy Land for two weeks, and while we were there, one of the things that impacted us was the, how Scripture in some, some of its context came alive there in the, in the context of being there and actually seeing things uh, face-to-face in some ways, and so... Uh, my wife had shared uh, on Facebook with a lot of folks, uh, and she became friends with a bunch more of you folks last week uh, because you wanted to see what was on her Facebook page, I guess, what the deal was. She's going like, who is this person? I said, I don't know. Who is that person? They must go to Great Oaks. And uh, so anyway, if you, if you try to befriend my wife on Facebook, just say, hey, I'm going to Great Oaks, or whatever. I don't have her do that. And uh, you can see all the Facebook stuff she did back starting November 1st to the 13th um, there on that. And she actually... Uh, did this kind of journey on there where she every day she would put uh, pictures and scripture context for everything that we did uh, along the trip. And so many people have appreciated that as well. And it, some of them ask that the question is, can you teach some on that? Can you give us more information on some of those things? And so this is kind of how this series kind of came to life. Uh, there was a lot more uh, things that we saw over those two weeks than, than I could possibly teach in about an eight-week series. But uh, but we want to share some of those. And uh, last week we talked about the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem and about prayer uh, because it really keyed for me the prayer thing. This week I want to talk about another location, the Jordan River. The Jordan River. Now, Jordan River uh, is an interesting place because it's so much in Scripture. Uh, it's here, and as you see in Scripture, it's, um, this is an ancient map or a, a map of uh, ancient uh, area. But the basic here is you see Jerusalem here. This is basically, all this area in here is Israel now, uh, all up to here. And then on this side of the, this is the Jordan River right here. And on this side of the river is the country of Jordan itself. And so you see that. Now the, the Jordan River flows from, the, from up here to the Sea of Galilee, which is a place we'll talk about later on. And it flows all the way down here to the Dead Sea, where uh, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, fairly lengthy. But it's not that long because really from here, from over in this area right here is where Tel Aviv is where we landed and go all the way over here to Jericho, uh, this part of the country here across here is only about 70 miles wide. So it's not like it's a huge country. And so the river itself is, you know, is less than 100 miles, probably 80 miles long through here. And uh, it's a really interesting river because it's mentioned, like I said, multitudes of time in Scripture, not just once that I'm going to talk about today, but it's multitudes of time. For instance, uh, one of the places it's mentioned is in the Old Testament, and uh, go ahead and next slide. Uh, in the Old Testament here, and this is a picture of the Jordan River today, you look at it and you're going like, wow, that's not much of a river. You're right, it's not much of a river today. Because what's happened is, in Jesus' day, or actually before that, in the Old Testament times, it was probably ten times the volume that it is today. The reason for that is because up in the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee is the, the primary fresh water supply for the nation of Israel and part of Jordan as well. And so they've been pumping water out of that, which feeds the the, the Jordan River, and it goes down to the Dead Sea. So now it's a, it's a fraction of what it was probably in Jesus' day. So it's not really that big. And it's really more of a Jordan Creek. Uh, it's not really that quite that small, but it's not a very big place. But this is kind of a picture of it along the way. Okay, next picture. In the Old Testament, though, we hear all kinds of, we see stories. One of the most famous in the Old Testament is depicted here in this picture. And this is actually in the Old Testament. You look in the book of Joshua, you will see where as the people were getting ready to cross into the promised land, uh, 
if you read that story, what happened was is the, the priest carried the Ark of the Covenant across first. As their, as their feet went into the water, the water parted, and the nation of Israel uh, walked across on dry land. And that's a story in the Old Testament. Another story in the Old Testament is this next picture. And this is a picture of a, a, a thing of, 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 the, of the prophet uh, Elijah, not Elisha, Elijah. And Elijah, as he and Elisha were going right before he went up to to go to heaven uh, in a chariot of fire, he, they had to cross the Jordan River, and it says that he took his cloak, took it off, wrapped it around, and hit the water, and when he hit the water, the water parted, and he and Elisha walked across. Another place the Jordan River is mentioned. Right after that, just, just, just shortly after that, we see this next uh, incident in Scripture, and that's where Elisha, after, after Elijah, his mentor, had gone into heaven, Elisha walks back, has to go back across the river to go to where the other 50 prophets, it says, were. And so he does, and he takes that same cloak. Elijah's cloak had fallen off and had given to him before, he, before Elijah went to heaven. He takes that cloak and drops it on the river, and it parts again. He walks across. Now, this is not the only times in the Bible that it's mentioned. It's mentioned multitudes of times the Jordan River in context of Scripture because it's a very primary thing. But the thing that's probably remembered the most and the thing that stood out to me the most when we went to the Jordan River was, was this next incident as well. And that is the baptism of Jesus. This is a, from one of the movies, uh, the Bible or something, I can't remember which one it was, where Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by John. And, uh, and when we were there to Jordan River, this become, that's one of the things that Jordan River is probably most famous for. And it's most, even today, it's used, let me share, share some other things here, next slide. Uh, it, there's, this is a place that we went to, and it's actually, you see, it's got steps leading down. This is, the, this is how big the river is there, right there. It's not very big. And this is on, on this side, on this side over here is the uh, uh, Israel, Israel, Israel side, and they've built all this, and you actually, this area down here, you can go without uh, hopefully drowning because uh, it's not that deep, but you can go there, and you can ba have baptismal services. All you see on the other side over here on the Jordan side there's baptismal places as well, and there's other places. But now at, in the Jordan River, there is lots of times, like this place and other places, go to the next slide, we'll have mass baptisms, like tons and tons and tons of people that are being baptized there uh, in this place. And uh, it's become that which is most synonymous to the Jordan River is the whole thing of baptisms, the baptism of Jesus. And because of that, many people were baptized uh, next slide. Uh, when we were there with our group, and we were with a group from Northwoods Community Church, that's Cal Rickner, their senior pastor. Uh, one of the things that people did when uh, we were there, and they told us in our group before we left, if you'd like to be baptized, realizing uh, pretty much everybody that left had already been baptized uh, as we talk about this morning, but it's a symbol, symbolic thing to go there and be baptized, and you may do so. And so uh, uh, Cal baptized some people. Next slide. And then one of the things I did is I got to baptize my wife in the Jordan River. She was first baptized when she was nine years old by her dad, who's a pastor. And then she had on Facebook, and this is what everybody went, ooh. Uh, they said, and, and uh, my wife uh, said in there that she was baptized first by her father when she was nine, and then she said on that day my, by my husband, uh, the two most important men in my life. And it made me, you know, I get all teared up, you know, when I think about that. So anyway, it was an important thing. Now, the question is, go to the next slide, the question is, what's the big deal about baptism? I mean, what's the big deal about taking person, dunking them underwater, and doing that? I mean, isn't, isn't, what's the big deal about that? Why do we make such a big deal about it? When I want to talk about that today, that's what clued, cued me in when I was there, because baptism, next slide, the next, uh, the thing is, is when people are baptized, this is some baptisms in the Jordan, Jordan River there, people usually, it's a celebration, 
It's a celebration of what people are doing. Go ahead to the next slide. The last slide is a slide of this young man being baptized. It's a celebration. So what's the big deal about baptism in that mode and in that way? Because at Great Oaks, this is, we baptize by immersion, meaning we place people under the water. But why do we even do that? What's the Bible say about it? Uh, and, and let me tell you this. Over the years, I've found that baptism is an emotional issue for many people. It's really interesting because no matter how you grew up, how you were, it really that's how you kind of feel about baptism. Because I had one day, I'll never forget a few years ago, this is probably seven, eight years ago, I had a couple come into the church one day in the office, and this young couple, and they had, and, and they, I'd never seen them before, never seen them before. I mean, I usually recognize your faces if I've seen you before, okay? may not know your name, but I recognize your faces. And the thing is, is they came into my office and they said they they had a little baby with them and they asked me if I would baptize their baby. And I looked at them and I said, well, let me explain something. And I explained why we don't do that here. And and, and then I asked them this question. I said, why is it important? And then I asked them a question, don't you go to your own? Well, we don't have a church. Um, Well, why, what's the big deal about baptizing your baby if you don't really have any spiritual background? Well, it's just something we feel like we need to do. They didn't have a clue about why they were doing it. They just thought it was something they were doing because of a cultural context I guess they'd grown up in. And so people have these attachments to different modes and different ways of baptizing. And I want to share with you today why, why we do what we do and why we believe that what we do is the scriptural way of doing it. Because, and let me just share with you scripture. When we, was there, we were there to Jordan River, I was reminded of the baptism of Jesus. It probably took place fairly close to where we were, you know, 2,000 years ago. And, and the question that begins is this, and it says this in Matthew 3. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and, and do you come to me? It was kind of like they were having this little battle. Jesus says, well, Jesus says, you need to baptize me. And John said, no, you need to baptize me. And they were probably back and forth and had a thumb war and had you know, the thing going on. Who was going to baptize who? I don't know how they figured it out. But anyway, Jesus won and said, you baptize me. And he said, he said let, it, uh, let it be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then, then John consented, it says, and as soon as Jesus was baptized... He went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And the question comes, arises, because there are different ways of baptizing. Why do we do baptism the way we do it? Why is it so important? And I'm reminded of another verse in Scripture that commands us to baptize. It says in Matthew 28, when Jesus was getting ready to go to heaven, and he leaves us this, what we call the Great, uh, the great uh, Commission, he says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And doing what? Baptizing them. He makes a big deal. In his final closing orders to the church, before he goes into heaven, he says, not only make disciples, followers, a disciple is a person who said yes to Jesus Christ. There's not a, a person who's a Christian and not a disciple. It's the same thing. You are a follower, a disciple, if you are a Christian. He says, make that and then baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And if you've seen baptisms, we just had a few weeks ago here at Great Oaks Baptisms here, and we we use that phraseology, right? We said, baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the reason we do that is because it's here in Scripture. That's what Jesus tells us to do. Jesus commands it. So what's the big deal? What's the big deal about baptism? Well, let let me tell you two things here. One is this. 
is we believe baptism is a big deal, and, and we do it the way we do it because we believe as a church that Scripture is our authority. It is the bottom line of what determines what we do. And as we're going to talk about today, everything I'm talking about today comes from Scripture. It doesn't come from church tradition. There's other tradition, uh, other church bodies that believe that church, the church is, is the one that is the authority. Okay? And if you've been baptized in any other way other than immersion, as a person who is a believer, this we'll talk about today, that comes out of a tradition which is based upon the church as the authority, not as Scripture as being the bottom line. And so that's the difference here. And that's, what I, that's where we have confusion sometimes. And so I don't want to confuse us. So I'll just simply say today, at the end of this today, I don't throw rocks at me or anything like that. If you have questions about baptism and you come from a different tradition, what I would challenge you to do is you can take this uh, CD, go online, do whatever, take it to your former priest, pastor, whatever, and, and ask them, what do you think about this? And if we had a lot of time, I could explain to you the historical reasons why other denominations do it differently. Basically Catholic, but also some others do some other things as well. Basically all evangelicals do what we're going to be talking about today, and, and that is baptism in the way, in the mode, in the form that we're going to talk about today. Now, so what's in the Bible about baptism? And the first question that comes up, what's the big deal about immersion? Why do we immerse? Why do we place people under the water? When we do this, you know, what's the big deal about that? Well, let me, let me explain why. There's a Greek word that's, tr that's transliterated. That means instead of, instead of actually being translated and put into English word that means that, there was no word for what happened when Jesus was placed under the water in the English language. And so what they did is they took a Greek word, baptizo, and they turned it and they made it into English. They took the Greek letters if you've seen you know, sororities, fraternities, stuff like that, you have Greek letters on the outside. If you don't know Greek, I studied Greek in seminary and college. And, and if you look at it, it doesn't look anything like English at all. But they took those letters, turned them into English letters, and the closest they could get to the word baptizo, that's the Greek word, is the word baptism in English. And it's, it still doesn't, and it said something to people. And so for some reason, we think it's a spiritual or a religious term, but it wasn't. Matter of fact, if you go back in history and you look back even prior to the Bible or prior to the New Testament, you'll find that there's, there's the, the meaning of the word baptizo was a, was a common everyday word that was used in multitudes of ways. Uh, for instance, um, there's, a, there's a dictionary, I have a copy of it, a Greek dictionary that actually is, is dealing with ancient Greek, and it gives, it's called by Liddell and Scott, and what they do is they, and I, it used to be I couldn't afford it, because it's on seminary, I wouldn't go to the library to read it, because it was like $125, and this is like 100 years ago, and, uh, and so now I found out recently, I'm going like, dude, I looked up and I was on my iPad, and I pulled it, pulled it up on uh, notebooks, you can buy a copy now for $1.99. And so I got it on my iPad now. That's really cool. You know, but it's this whole thing. You, unless you're really into that, you probably, those of you who are geeks and like to do stuff like that, this would be cool for you. But Liddell and Scott basically gives what the secular Greek, it's a secular Greek dictionary of ancient language, of ancient Greek language. And, and basically when it says it, it defines the word baptizo, which was a common word, this is some of the definitions it gives. It says it means this. It means to, uh, it, it refers to a ship that sunk in battle. It refers to dipping clothes in dye to dye it. It means immersing clothes in water to wash them. 
I mean, those are some of the terms that deals with, that was a common word, you know, when you were going to immerse your clothes in water to wash, and you were saying you were going to baptizo your clothes, okay? It's literally what it was used in that culture. And one of, the, one of the best ways we understand is people how to use it in common language was to look at ancient writings. And there was this guy named Nicander who was a physician and a, a, physician and a poet uh, who wrote a lot of things in the first century. And Nicander, what he did is he actually wrote out a lot of things. One of the things he did is, I don't know where he got it from, but he actually had a recipe on how to make pickles in his writing. And you're going like, I thought about having a pickle jar up here as a visual this morning, but I didn't want to go and buy the jar of pickles I wouldn't eat. But the deal is, is anybody, uh, anybody here ever made pickles? Anybody here? Oh, there's like five, last service there was one person. It's a lost art form, okay? And uh, we're going to have to learn how to make pickles, honey, wherever you are. Uh, so anyway, my wife's looking, no, I don't think we're going to make pickles. Anyway, uh, we'll just buy pickles. But uh, the deal is, is that uh, it was this recipe to make pickles, dill pickles. And, and so in the recipe, Nicander, this first century physician, said, this is what you do. He says, and he used the word twice. He said, first of all, you take the cucumbers or any whatever vegetables you're pickling, and you place them, you baptizo them in water and cook them. Then he says, after you do that, then you baptizo these things after they're cooked in vinegar in this brine. And he tells you, actually uses the word baptizo. So he says, you baptize the pickles twice. Now I understand, and I talked to my grandmother years ago about pickle making, the uh, first time I ever heard of this, and I asked her the question, actually it was my mother-in-law, I think, uh, asked her about, I said, uh, I said how, long do you, how long do you put them in the water, I mean in the brine, in the vinegar? And she said, well it's according to what you kind of do, but usually four to five weeks, sometimes. And I'm going like, well that's the problem, we don't keep people in the water long enough, you know? If we did, maybe it would take better, I don't... The deal is this. This, was, this word baptizo was a common everyday word. It wasn't a religious term. Get that? Okay. Secondly, it was used in the culture of Jesus' day in a, in a way as well. Because there were people who would come to Jerusalem and they were not Jewish people. They would, they, Jer- Jerusalem was kind of like a magnet for people to come from all over. As they would come to Jerusalem, they were from other backgrounds, other, other religious groups. And what they would do is they would come there, they would start interacting with the Jewish people. And they would start realizing Jewish people only had one God, unlike most of their religions. And so they would be interested in this and they would ask the question, how do I become Jewish? Can I become a Jew? And so the Jewish people would describe to them this process, this process of becoming Jewish. And for guys, it was tougher than girls. Um, those of you who grew up in Sunday school, you know what I'm talking about or whatever. You know, uh, you know they would describe this process. And for guys, it was circumcision. Okay, that's the p- tough part. And that's why a lot of people, it was probably more women that became Jews than guys. And submission to the law. Uh, understanding the, the law, a ceremonial meal, a sacrifice at the temple. And then the last thing they would do after they did all of that, they would go down to a cistern or, 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 or a stream or a river, and they would actually go down and they would baptizo, it says, baptizo, immerse themselves in the water as a symbol of dying to their self and becoming Jewish, of identifying with the Jewish religion. They would do it to themselves. Nobody else would do it for them. And that was a common thing in that culture of that day, and everybody understood that. That was part of the process. They understood baptism in that way. 
And then we come along and we read in the New Testament, there's this guy named John. And John comes along and he is the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And what he does, he does something very bizarre. It's the first time recorded in history this happens. He baptizes other people. They would come into the river where he was, this crazy guy that I have a picture of who he was. And he would, they would t- take him, and I don't know how he did it, forwards, backwards, I don't know. But he would actually immerse them in the water as a way of saying, of repenting of your sins and identifying with the teachings of John. And so everybody who identified with John and his message was baptized, baptized by John. And so John got a nickname. What was his nickname? John the... Baptist or John the baptizer, John the worser man, you know, whatever, whatever it is that he did. But he had this kind of nickname he was known because nobody did that. It was a strange thing with a strange guy. But people baptized to identify with John and his teachings. That was in the culture of Jesus' day. And then we read in Scripture, the Scripture that I read just a while ago about Jesus' baptism. And John was the cousin of Jesus. And, and then when Jesus went And Jesus was out there, and he was coming into the crowd, and John was baptizing, and John goes, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sinners of the world. He points in a direction. Jesus comes down. They have this exchange we just read. And then Jesus goes into the water, and he says he comes up out of the water. And following that, following that, something unusual happens. From that point on, we see in Scripture that as people came to follow Jesus, Jesus' followers, his apostles, we don't know if Jesus ever baptized anybody. Maybe he baptized himself, maybe the apostles, we don't know for sure. But, but pretty much Jesus' followers would baptize others who identified with the teachings of Jesus because it was a common thing in that day to do just that. But it really wasn't a religious term to start with. So when they would do that, when the person said, John, Put somebody under the water, they didn't know what else to say, so they would simply say, well, John is baptizoing people, you know? That's what they would say. And that's how this term came about. Now, the confusion about this word is, is that it's, once again, like I said, I said, there was no English equivalent of this word that really described it. It, was, it would have to be a whole sentence to describe what happens here. And so this word is used, but then it's also used in the Bible, not too often, but mostly, but mostly is the word baptism. It's translated, the word baptizo, it's translated bap- baptism. But it was actually one or two places in the New Testament and some places in the Old Testament where this word, the same word is used. For instance, in Luke 11, but it's translated differently. In Luke 11, verse 37 and 38, it says this, when Jesus had finished speaking, talking about a time that Jesus had been with some Pharisees, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. And so he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised, he said, when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. The word wash there in the Greek is the word baptizo. Why didn't they use the word baptize? Because it doesn't make any sense in that context. It's not about this this identification with Jesus. It's it's really about washing. And so the word he could have used, he said he baptizoed before the meal. He was surprised Jesus didn't do that because in that day, when you came to someone's house, you would actually, what you would do, this is the picture here, in a real sense, you would take it and you would pull up your sleeves of your garment and you would actually immerse your arms down from the elbows to the fingertips underwater as a ceremonial way of cleansing yourself before a meal. But Jesus didn't do it here and that's what it caused him surprise. So they they, they, uh, translate it as wash. So, saying all that, The reason we baptize by immersion here at Great Oaks 
And it's, it's the case, not just at Great Oaks, but most evangelical, almost all the evangelical churches that I know of, is we immerse because, number one, that's what the word baptizo means. The word baptizo means to immerse and to place underwater. Do you know that there is a Greek word? Greek's very specific language. Uh, you probably know that in Greek, there's not just one word that's being Valentine's Day for love. There's multiple words for love in Greek. There's a word agape, which is God's love. There's a word eros, which is erotic. It comes from that. You can kind of guess what kind of love that is. Phileo, which is another word that deals with brotherly love. There's all a very specific language, much more specific than English. Do you know that there's a word for sprinkle in Greek? Very specific word. It's called reino. Reino. And they could have used that word any time, but that's not what it was showing in that day. In Jesus' day, when the Bible was written, it was the word baptizo was translated and translated into, or transliterated into baptism. So number one, that's what the word means. That's why we do it that way. Number two, uh, that's what we see modeled in the New Testament. That's what we see modeled in the New Testament. Uh, out, out in the lobby, uh, as you go out the door, there's a couple of things that'll help you. There's, one, uh, there's some scrapbooks my wife did when we were in Israel, if you want to look at those as well. They'll be here during this whole series. But also, there's some of these little sheets of paper for today's message that goes along, and it talks about baptized, baptism. And what's the meaning of baptism? Uh, why should I be baptized? Why baptism by immersion? Who should be baptized? And a question about infant baptism in scripture, uh, as well there. So you can pick that up on your way out if you want to as well. But we see, uh, we see uh, one of the reasons we immerse is because we see it modeled in the New Testament. Um, and Jesus was baptized that way, and so that's the thing. And so some of you say, well, I didn't grow up that way. I was in another church. That did, just go and ask them why. And, and I will guarantee you that it, it's basically because of c- culture or tradition in every other case that we see. Now, I say that, and one of the questions that people say then when when I I talk about this, and I talk about this when people come to my office talking about baptism, or when in class 101 we talk about this, did my baptism count then if I was baptized a different way? Now, if I was sprinkled, or if I was poured, or or whatever, poured is another form of baptism. Let me explain it this way, and this to ease your mind. Or maybe confuse your mind. I don't know which one it's going to do. It's not about form. Baptism is not about, it's like this. You can go up here and get in our tank and be baptized and go under the water and be immersed. And still not be a baptism. You just got wet. Okay? Because it's not about form. It's about meaning. And what I mean by that is this. It is the meaning attached to the event that gives it significance. So what is the significance of baptism? What does it mean according to Scripture? Well, number one, baptism, according to Scripture, is simply a public declaration of a new association. It's identifying with something or someone. That's the historical and biblical understanding of what baptism is. As I said, Jewish converts baptized themselves to identify with Judaism. It was known in that culture. It was a common thing. And as early followers of Jesus were being baptized, dipped, immersed, they were doing it to identify with the person and teaching of Jesus Christ. It was a, it was a thing that happened as a public declaration of a new association. 
And even in Scripture, we've seen people who were baptized one way being baptized, or being baptized at one time being baptized in, in the baptism of Jesus. For instance, in, in Acts 19, and I'm only going to use this one illustration this morning, there was two followers of John, John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, who had followed John, uh, and then a few years later, we see him in Scripture in Acts 19. They're, they followed John, they're going around, and John's died, Jesus has come, uh, he's died upon a cross, he's been resurrected, all those things have happened, but they've gone to a different land. They've not heard about that. And so what happens is, is uh, they're going around, they're teaching this message of John, repent, be baptized. And then Paul encounters them on this road in Acts 19, verses 1 through 5, but in verse, uh, and, he, and he asks them some questions about it. He said, have you heard about Jesus Christ? Have you heard about the baptism of the Spirit? And, and in verse 3, Paul says, then what baptism did you receive? And they say, well, John's baptism, that's what we received, the baptism we were identifying with John. And they replied, and then Paul said, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. That's great, guys, but he told them the people, but John had told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And they knew this to be true. And so what happened is when they heard that Jesus had come and this had happened, it says on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They were first baptized to identify with John, and then later they were baptized to identify with Jesus because that was part of the deal they did. So Paul catches them up, and the response of the two men is to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So that's the first thing we understand, that baptism is an identification with Jesus. That is why we do baptisms here at Great Oaks publicly. We take the drum booth off right now. <laughs> this is the only way we have. We have a, I call it the baptismal jacuzzi up there. Uh, it's a big, like a, it's a tank up there. And when we have baptisms, we do it that way. And also, one of the things we do at Great Oaks, and, and I know this is terribly frightening for people for some strange reason, is to do a baptism video, Okay. And the reason we do the baptism video is because it is a public, it's going public with your, not only being baptized in front of people, but saying why you want to do that. See, in Jesus' day when they were baptized, it was, a public, it was a public thing. The river was a place of life and activity. And when they were baptized there, people saw it and they go, oh, that person's identifying with Jesus or that person's identifying with John. They understood that in that day clearly. And we say, if that's what the case was, then we need to do it in such a way that we're saying, hey, I'm going public with my commitment to Jesus Christ. And while we don't make everybody do baptism videos, we highly encourage that. Because I will tell you the reason why that's important. Because that may be the one time in your life when you have the opportunity, and you don't have to do it in front. You, don't, you do the video in a room somewhere with Nate. And he's not one scary dude by any means, okay? And... Uh, and you can take as many, you can make it take as many takes as you want to to make sure you get it right, you know. And then once you get it right, he can make you look even better because he can edit it, you know. And that's it's amazing what you can do with you can make you know even the worst speeches sound great if you edit them out things, you know. And so what he does, he does that. But that is the one time when you can say something to a whole congregation, to a whole group of people, and you may sp speak that truth into their life. In that one time, more than any other time in your life put together. You may never have as much of an opportunity to talk to everybody and let people know about what's happened in your life. So when you identify. So that's why we do that. It's about identifying with something or someone, and we want people to encourage that. Secondly, the second reason that what the meaning of baptism is, is this. Baptism is symbolic of our death to our old life and birth of a new life. 
It says in, in Colossians 2, it says, for you, when you were baptized, you were bur- buried with Christ, and in baptism you were also raised with Christ. It's a symbolic nature. And, and it's so easy to see in, in immersion, in water baptism, that when somebody goes under the water, it's a symbolic of them dry, dying to their old self. As they come out of the water, it's symbolic of living a new life in Christ. And then thirdly, the third thing that baptism represents is this. Baptism represents the cleansing that happens when we become a Christian. The best news that I've ever heard is this. No matter what you've done and where you've been, God wants to forgive you and give you a new start. Is that good news? Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't tell, I don't matter who you are. It doesn't matter. And some people are always going, well, you don't understand. No, no, no. I understand who Jesus is and what God says. And he says that no matter where you've been, what you've done, he wants to give you a new start. So baptism, in a real sense, when you do it, represents the cleansing that happens when we become a Christian. It's, it's a washing away of our old identity and bringing in a new way of life. And it kind of says in 2 Corinthians, it says, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. I mean, bummer, we can't become a brand new person outside. You know, washes come out and we come like studs, you know, and, you know, whatever. But, you know, that's not the way it is. It's about the inside, not the outside. And it says the old life has passed away and the new life has become. Now, let me share with you a couple of things baptism is not. Kind of wrap this up. Baptism is not a part of the salvation process we understand according to Scripture. It's symbolic of what has already happened. A couple of examples, I'll give you a ton if we had lots of time, but Jesus chose to be baptized. Did Jesus need forgiveness of sins? Not my understanding of Jesus. Jesus was the only person ever lived on the earth that was sinless. So if baptism was about, about, uh, about cleansing of sins, then, and also, when Jesus, after he, if it was about cleansing of sins and, and making people uh, saved, would you think that if and he said, my mission is to seek and save what is lost, do you think that Jesus would have been baptizing everything in sight? But we don't know if Jesus ever baptized anybody. He's, his, his followers baptized people. But baptism, Jesus chose to be baptized because of a point of identification with, with God's mission for his life. The second thing that sometimes in Scripture, and it's one of my favorite things in Scripture that kind of talks about this, is, is you remember the story about Jesus on the cross? And there was two guys, one on either side of him. And he's on the cross, and this one guy has a conversation with Jesus, and he asks for forgiveness from Jesus and said, I'm a sinner. And Jesus, what did Jesus say? Too bad, you got to be baptized. No, that's not what he said. He said this, he said, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. You'll be the same place I am. See, Jesus, you know, going, well, that's a Jesus exception. No, no, no. It's consistent with Scripture. And I know that there's some verses, some of you will say, well, I grew up in a background where there's some verses, and in my denomination, mainly the, the Christian church, the Church of Christ, uh, talks about this. And, 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 and there's some verses taken out of context that can make it seem that baptism is required for salvation. But I, if you look at the whole of Scripture and, and understand the context of those verses, then I, I just don't think they're wrong in regard to that. And I believe that, that what the Bible teaches clearly it's, it's a symbolic thing that happens to you. It's not part of salvation. Another thing is it's not the same. Baptism is not the same thing. Being baptized is not the same thing as joining the church. I grew up Southern Baptist, okay? 
I don't know if any of you have a clue what Southern Baptists are. Regardless of what you heard, they were a good denomination, not all wackos, okay? Uh, you know, you know it just, uh, the churches I was at was just like this church, okay? Very much so. I taught in one for 13 years and the staff of another one for eight, eight nine years. So I, and I grew up in one, so I, I know, and I've been around a lot of different ones. But the reality is, so often in the Southern Baptist Church, what would happen is, is that we would have every Sunday a come forward, uh, come forward invitation. Maybe you've been in churches like that. We do stuff occasionally like that, not every week. And, and in the context of that, what would happen is, is people would come forward saying they want to be baptized and join the church. It was kind of like a package deal. And the reality is, it's really not a package deal, okay? Because baptism is a decision you make to follow Christ. Becoming a part of the church is a separate thing you do. Yes, at Great Oaks, to become a member of Great Oaks, and you can go to Class 101 to discover this, to be a part of Great Oaks and be an official member, you have to have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have to have been baptized after that in some form. And then, and then, you, have to, and then you have to go through and sign you know, your life away. No, you don't. And then you uh, sign a covenant, which simply says, this is what it means to be a part of the church, and I will take response. It's, it's ownership is what we call it at Great Oaks. It's ownership, into the, and not just membership, it's ownership. And so we talk about that as well. But it doesn't, but it does. It's not the same as joining the church. That's part of the process there as well. Now, so the conclusion is this. Let me wrap this up. Did yours count then? If I was baptized in some other different way. Well, according to Scripture, don't throw rocks at me. Okay. According to Scripture, infant baptism is nowhere to be seen. There is a deal in Scripture where people were dedicated, and we believe in child dedication. One of the things that we're going to happen here on Mother's Day is we're going to have parent-child dedication. We have a class that you have to take before you do that, though, because we want you to understand it's not baptizing your child, because baptism itself, we see clearly in Scripture, does not save you. And so, you know, that, that couple that came into my office and wanted to get baptized their infant, and then they had no spiritual background whatsoever and, 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 and whatever, they, they were afraid that their child was, you know, they were thinking if I get my child, you know, sprinkle some water on them, they're going to be safe. But that's not the issue in Scripture. The issue in Scripture is baptism is something that happens to you that you do once you have followed Christ and you're old enough to understand what it means. It's not an age or a stage either. I remember, I remember in, like I said, in the Baptist church, people would come down and we'd have come forward office. I remember times when, you know, whole groups of kids, like, you know, buddies would all get together. They'd go like, are you going down? I'm like, I'm going down. You're going down. I'm going down. You know, and then I'd go down and like, you know, like little kids and they're down there and, they, you know, the guy would talk, the pastor would talk to them or whoever the person up front is would talk to them. And they were down there and they were playing rock, paper, scissors, you know, and doing all kind of crazy things. You're not really, not really focused on it too much, but it was kind of a thing you do because everybody does. It. And I'm going, eh, that's not really baptism. That's not really, is that really, you know, there's, there's an, it's a maturity issue. So what is baptism? This is, this is the concluding statement. Baptism is for individuals, individuals who have decided to identify with Jesus. That's what is, baptism is according to scripture. And who should be baptized is anyone who is old enough to publicly identify with the person and teaching of Jesus. It's done after you've said yes to Jesus. And it's not an age, it's a maturity. And, and, and any time you know, that a young child comes to church, we, don't, we just want to make sure that they're mature enough to understand what it means, at least some basics. 
And that's why Dan, our children's pastor, will meet with every... If you have a child that's under 10 years old, 12 years old, that wants to be baptized, Dan will meet with you and with the child and go through the process to make sure that they're ready. Because being baptized, getting dunked in a tank doesn't make you a Christian. Saying yes to Jesus does. And baptism is something you do that follows up that commitment you make to help people uh, to take that next step. So what is your next step? Maybe your next step is beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've not done that yet. Saying yes to Jesus. Saying yes to him as Lord and Savior of your life. Identifying with him there. And then baptism it follows that step. And if, you've, and if you, you know, were baptized as an infant, that's great. You know, child dedication, your parents did it for you because they wanted to raise you in a way that would, it maybe helped them to raise you in a way that would honor God. That's what child dedication is, I think, in Scripture. But the reality is, is that you need to make that decision for yourself. You need to say yes to Jesus. I'm identifying with you, and I want to I, I, I go public with it. And baptism is the way that you do that according to the Scripture. So, do you need to take that step? Regardless of how long ago it was that you said yes to Jesus, whether you was an older child, a teenager, an adult, what do you need to do? Our next baptism is scheduled for April 10th. Just put it on your calendar, okay? And at that stage, we'll celebrate baptisms with those who have said yes to Jesus and say, yes, I'm ready to make that decision and make, go public with it. It's an important thing. To, when I was standing at the Jordan River and we were seeing all these people baptized, it was a cool thing. It, it was exciting because, and I'm going like, what's the, and then I started thinking, you know, somebody who wasn't religious wouldn't have a clue of what this means. What's that strange thing people are doing? Dunking each other in the river. You know? Well, it is a big deal according to the Scripture. It's a big deal because it says, I identify with Jesus Christ. And I don't mind who, care, who, who knows about it because I'm ready to do it. Are you ready to do it? Let's pray.